Hey, how's it going? It's Meet Me for Coffee. This week, I got an awesome guest. His name is Dr. Quadjo. He's the department head of critical care at the Ottawa Hospital, also the host of Solving Healthcare. How's it going, man? George, I'm jammed up. I'm ready to go. I've been looking forward to this for about a month. So we're going to have a great conversation, my friend. It seems like we could not make it happen. And now <laughs> we we have made it happen, you know, with your hectic schedule and mine. And um, I know you have more demanding schedule than I do. I, I mean, like the most tied up I am is with my family, but you're in the healthcare field. Um, you're probably drinking lots of lots of coffee like this. Um, check this. Check this, man. It's yeah. like real. Yeah. It's real. It's a Contigo uh, uh a thermos, whatever you call it. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's what's called carry on or whatever. Those mm-hmm. things keep things hot. I used to uh, install cable um, for a company called Rogers and uh, <laughs> I'd put that thing in. Never heard of them. Yeah, never heard of them. Um, I'd put the coffee in the morning and then like I just forget about it until like I drink some and I just forget about it because it's such a big little jug. It's a Contigo uh, jugger, whatever carry on for coffee. And like that night time, I go home and it's like still hot. Like, it's, unreal incredible incredible yeah, exactly yeah i put two in that bad boy how do you take your coffee hot. black on black on black oh yeah only way to go <laughs> actually you know what if i'm if i'm being truthful in the afternoon i'll put some cream in that bad boy i'll be like i'm gonna give myself a special treat yeah know? so I'll, I'll throw down some cream in the afternoon well sometimes it's just like you got to dumb it down a bit because like <laughs> you just can't keep going like charging that like <laughs> level 10 the whole time right so it's it's difficult for me it's not like i just i have this is my second cup of coffee um which would probably explain why i'm going to start sweating in the next like 10 minutes here um and then and then after i'll go the whole day and i'll live my <laughs> the, life the spontaneous sweating that always makes me laugh you yeah somebody just eating food and just sweating i don't know yeah it's uh Straight up comedy. Well, usually like when you start sweating, it's and you see somebody sweating at the dinner table, it's like either they have to go to the washroom or like you know, it's like they they're either really hot or they have to go to the washroom. It's it's the one of each, right? <laughs> or in my line of work, they're about to have a heart attack. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well <laughs> hopefully it doesn't happen to me. I mean, if you're you're on the other side of the camera here, man, so it's just not good if it does happen to me. So um <laughs> It's really admirable that in your position that, you know, you, you guys went through a pandemic and um, all that stuff that happened the last two years, hoping never happens again. I don't think it, it, it might, but I'm not sure. Um, your, your podcast talks about solving healthcare. Um, and I think that one way to solve healthcare, I know that uh, the stipulation to have uh, to qualify one bed in our, in our healthcare system is to have four nurses per bed, right? So not that I'm not totally sure on the, on the numbers. Like it, uh, that's going to depend on whether that's a normal hospital bed, a nursing home bed or an ICU bed. Okay. So what about an ICU bed? What does that entail? Like how many nurses per bed? Yeah. I mean, uh, so if I think about our ICU, you know, one of them has about 30 beds and on staff is about 200 nurses, uh, differing from full-time and part-time. So, 
Yeah, that what's the math on that? That's like uh I guess that would be like seven ish. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, we have a bit of a crisis here in Canada. Yeah, our healthcare is free. We pay pay with our tax dollars, but at the same time, we're at a shortage of nurses. We're at a shortage of doctors. You know, you have I go downtown Toronto and I take a cab. Um, my cab driver Not an Uber. You Uber, still take a cab? Lyft, whatever, like no, chariot. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like uh, you don't hear that term very often anymore. I took a taxi. Yeah, I took a you know taxi. I mean? yeah. yeah. Sometimes you'd rather just take a taxi because you don't know what you're gonna get yourself into. And 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 like hike price times of the day, That's you, true. you can pay the same price as an Uber. So That's true. Um your 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 cab driver or your Uber driver or the guys selling hot dogs or sausages, like some of those guys are doctors. It's not that they're bad doctors. It's just they can't practice medicine or, or their practice, uh, you know, or be be a doctor when they come to Canada, when they come from a foreign country like India or, you know, Cyprus or, you know, N- Nigeria, wherever they're from. So um, maybe remove that block and, you know, infuse this country with doctors that can actually help us and sustain us. I mean, the way it's going, it, it might end up being all privatized, um, like the States. So uh, how do you see the outlook of healthcare in the next five to 10 years here in Canada? Yeah, George, I think we're going to have to have a shakeup for sure. Like you, you, you touched on a couple of key topics. Like one, I'm, I'm always one to, you know, to try and keep it real, but I'll tell you straight up, the healthcare system is in crisis. You know, I see patients that are, you know, awaiting cancer surgery and what what is an early stage cancer is now a late stage cancer. I've seen patients presenting into the ICU with very late stage cancer because they didn't get their cancer screening and and so forth and and die unfortunately at at young ages. Uh, you know, the, the amount of time you got to wait and emerge for having your problems addressed. Uh, the patients waiting for semi elective like uh aortic aneurysm repair and now their their aneurysm ruptures uh the, the the healthcare crisis when it comes to nursing and mass exodus of of healthcare uh professionals like this is all real and you know i think to to be able to come up with solutions you need to be people are going to have to get uncomfortable i had to tell you like we got to think outside the box and 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 decide what our priorities are and you know, you, you made a great point. There's a lot of, unfortunately, unemployed physicians, nurses, allied, uh, like uh, physiotherapists, and so on. That, I mean, not all of them would be qualified, like would qualify to practice here based on their, their skills and uh, their language abilities and, and so forth. But there's a good proportion that would be good to go. Like, I'll give you an example of you're a surgeon from, you know, Brazil. Uh, you, you like you would in most of the cases you're going to retrain to be able to do another operation um you know it, it, it's that's another five years of time when we could use you now um when it comes to that privatization question like there's a ton of people waiting for elective surgeries for their hips their knees their shoulders i know numerous unemployed orthopedic surgeons, not foreign trained orthopedic surgeons, just straight up would love to have a job, would have love a place to operate. So you have the docs available, they have no where to operate, and you have a ton of people wanting to get functional again. 
it's crazy. Like, I do think there's going to be an element of privatization um, uh, that's in our future. We just got to think about how we could do it in a way that's equitable and doesn't drain uh, all the talent to the private sector. Like, I think this is why you got to think about this stuff now, as opposed to be reactive and, and create a system that is, that is, that's messed up. But yeah, George, we got a lot of work to do. And we're going to have a lot of problems because um, what just happened in the last year, two years, three years, um, if something of that magnitude, if not bigger happens again, um, you're basically collapsing everything, right? It's, you know, even just our financial system, our healthcare system will collapse because we just don't have the will to support it. Right. Um, but I will say that, that, that Brazilian surgeon, it would be good for him to get more training, like you said, but at least he'll know what he's doing. Right. So he'll be even better. Yeah. I mean, there's some people, I mean, in that situation, there's going to be some that are good to go, but it's, it's the red tape. It's the standard we've created. We said, okay, you're going to have to do some retraining. You know what I mean? Or not summary training. You're going to have to retrain period. And there's no reason you can't have an accelerated one-year program, two-year program. Like this is where I'm saying, stop thinking traditionally and think outside the box. Think about, think, act like we have some urgency. You know what I mean? And I think George, honestly, a lot of these problems, why I get a little bit testy about it. Number one, these issues were, were, were present before the pandemic. But number two, I feel like we made this so much worse by ha- being so unifocused during the pandemic. Like, the I hope we learned this lesson that you can't just be so narrow-minded, narrow-focused during a time of crisis. Because a lot of us were saying, even though we were, weren't allowed to say it quite often, was like, hey, think about the consequences of your actions. If you're going to close down a school, think about what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the workforce? What's going to happen to the kids' mental health, their physical health, their overall well-being? They have their whole future ahead of them. What's going to happen when you stop surgeries? What's going to happen when you, like, close down sectors of our healthcare system? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to those marginalized communities that now we're already struggling? How, what is their future outlook going to look like? Because I'll tell you, as an ICU doctor, we always have to look at things holistically. By what I mean by that is, if I if you got a heart problem and I start you on heart medication, I can't just say, oh yeah, okay, now we've uh, given that medication, now your heart's better. But what the hell happened to your lungs? What's it going to affect your kidneys? What's it going to do to your, your your brain? You have to think of the whole thing. Yeah, and, and during this pandemic, for some reason, we just got. I'll I'll just be straight up. We got crazy. We yeah. lost our minds. We listen to the wrong people. That's what I think. We listen. We just let people tell us what to do and make us forcefully do something that we didn't want to do um, while they're showing us other things that are happening. Like at the beginning of this, I remember I saw a video on TV or CNN or whatever. And it was uh, of China and people like keeling over and dying on the street. And I was like, man, this is... I went to the grocery store and it was cleaned out. Then I went to the beer store and then it was cleaned out. Like I, then I really started to panic, right? Cause like, I, I like to have some beer. Um, and then I was like, man, like this is pretty crazy. And 
it was not nothing like what I thought it was going to be or what I was told it was going to be. Um, how for you as a person who oversees things, like, was it as bad? Like were the COVID deaths actually COVID deaths or were they just um, like, were you classify them as COVID deaths? Like if somebody comes in with a motorcycle injury and he dies or whatever, um, is that, could you classify as a COVID death or how did they count cases? Like, you know, I don't really understand like how we can, we can say that, you know, I, I had COVID, right. And I was always fighting, fighting with public health. Um, Cause they're calling you every day. It's like, Oh, whatever. I'm like, well, I found out that this test, like I'm asymptomatic. I can't pass it to you. Like, you know, I knew this cause I was talking to doctors in the States and whatever like that. Um, and I know that this test, like if you get the, the dead RNA from my body, like I don't actually, I may have had it, but I don't have it now. I'm not contagious. No. So there's always like an argument. And maybe that's why I was still so steadfast and always stood my ground and people thought I was crazy, but now it's like the tables have kind of, you know, we've almost even the playing field. So um, what things did go wrong that you saw on, on your side of the medical field, because you're in the room dealing with people uh, maybe on ventilators. I don't know to get sick and have to go to the hospital with COVID. I, I would assume you'd have to have, some pretty underlying, another underlying, you know, sickness or something like that, or maybe you just got cut off guard or it, maybe it's, uh, I can't really explain. Um, I hope you understand what I'm saying to you. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean like, okay. So first of all, like the question about, you know, with the COVID deaths real, like I would say there's two, there's two stories for that. One is that the first few waves, legit COVID deaths. We saw it for real. Like there was, okay. Yeah, like no doubt about it. Like uh, I saw people, like it was very predictable course. You come in into the emergency, you, but there was some people that would stabilize after getting some medication. There was some people that would progress and, and later come to the ICU where, they, where I take care of them, or we take care of them and land on a, a ventilator and be on a ventilator for, especially in those first couple of weeks or first couple uh, waves, they would be there for like at least three weeks on a ventilator. Like it was rough course. And, you know, a third of them died and it's horrible. They were, you know, uh, in that third wave, April, 2021. And uh, for us, they were taking a lot of patients from the GTA or, or the greater Toronto area. Uh, they were away from their families. So, uh, you know, at times we saw people die alone. Like it was horrible for real. Um, the, the story that I was pretty passionate about early on was the fact that we weren't seeing healthy people. That, was, that narrative was lost. The people that we saw either had poor immune system, they were extreme of age, mostly in the earlier waves. But by that third wave, we really it was really correlated with, are you diabetic? Are you obese? Do you have high blood pressure? What we call poor metabolic health. And now it was a huge driver even i'll give an, even give an example the people that we saw that were in their 20s like we'd only had a handful of people in their 20s they were extremely obese like extremely like to the point where i don't think some of them could be able to walk up the stairs and so that part of the story was obviously lost we um so that was one of the, the narratives that i was pretty big on advocating for like Hey, public health, let's talk about getting people healthy. 
Um, and then the Omicron changed everything. Now you, the, the, the data is messy, in my opinion. I'll just preface this by saying it's my opinion. But you come in with your hip replacement and you die related to your hip and you're 93 years old and you swap positive for COVID. I don't know how you're being classified, to be honest with you. I really don't. Even if you have no symptoms, I, 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 I you know, some people that come in with uh, heart failure, their heart is failing, but they also have an Omicron infection. Uh, we think it's mostly their heart failure. They pass away. I, I honestly don't know how the higher ups are going to classify that. So the earlier ones to me were very black and white in terms of you're dying from COVID or not. The, the Omicron era, I flip a coin in my opinion. It's not totally, I'm not, I'm not totally clear on how well we were classifying that. Yeah. It's uh, then you have people getting vaccinated and stuff like that. And um, I think that what happened is that people didn't look into it. They just took what people were saying. Like it was an approved drug, it was an approved vaccine. So then you go on FDA's website and it's just emergency use. So I was like, oh, now it's approved. You guys have no excuse not to get it now. So it was, um, as a person who I have three shots, um, I'm pretty convinced I'm not getting the fourth one. Um, I don't even want the three. Um, because look at all the all the the health issues. Like I, you know, I had chest pains for the first six months, and um, you know, things just weren't going my way. For, after your third dose, or after your second dose? After my second dose, and then I had a third one, and then I, you know, I felt kind of my chest pains again. So I reached out to a few people, and they're like, yeah, I mean, maybe take some different remedies, you know, pine tree oil, um, just to make sure things don't get stuck into your organs, and. Uh, like obviously myocarditis, I was saying that at the beginning, I didn't want to get it. And then I got kind of afraid because like I had chest pains. Like, oh no, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Get your vaccine or whatever. Then it ends up being, hey, now we're, we're saying on buses, the advertisements on buses that, hey man, it's it's normal for people of your age, 30, 20, you know, 17 to have myocarditis, right? It's like, what do you mean? Like, all of a sudden we have these issues. Um, what, what, what is your stance on this? Like, should it be, should, I mean, um, I know I had a doctor on my show, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, and he told me. You got Peter McCullough on your show? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, man. Um, wow. What an awesome guy. Because um, what I asked him is, is that, like, is there something that I can take? Like, they never told us, the government has, they never told us once what we could take to help boost our immune system, to help us prevent, um, you know, our, our body from shutting down or getting COVID or, you know, help us to fight COVID. And he gave me a list of like, us, you know, over six things, eight things or whatever. And, and I never heard that, um, you know, vitamin C, you know, zinc, you know, stuff like that. Take that stuff, help yourself feel stronger and help your body fight against viruses. Like there's viruses everywhere. Let's, let's be real. Um, you know, that's what they should have been telling us. So, um, as, as a health practitioner yourself, um, don't you agree that we should be taking natural remedies, you know, like vitamins instead of just putting something in your body that, you know, if we should have had a choice the whole time, I'm sure you've seen some of the backfall of that, you know, in your, in your rooms. Yeah, I think 
you know, there's once again, I think of two stories, one in the very acute time of COVID where we were, you know, scared. We saw a lot of deaths, you know, new vaccine, early data showing it's safe and effective. So let's, let's get it out. And then, and then as we start to learn more and learn who's at risk of dying from COVID, I think we stopped being, we didn't have any nuance to our approach. There was zero nuance. You know, when I see a healthy 18 year old, do they need three shots? No. Especially during an Omicron era. Like, I'm sorry. You don't even need one. You don't need one. Um, Like, you know, you always got to be delicate with cancel culture, but I hear what you're saying. And, uh, you know, and especially when we realize that you could still transmit when you're vaccinated, I think the landscape and the, the discussion needed to change. But um, we, this was, to me, was the scariest thing. You, can't, you couldn't discuss this stuff. Like, I, I've been pretty vocal when it came to them, like mandates in general for, uh, you know, for schools, for kids' sports and all that stuff. Because you have a low-risk group and you're making them take a medication when it was, depending on when you were talking about this, not that many kids have received the, you know, the vaccine and you're going to mandate it without, like, while it's still under emergency authorization, don't make, it doesn't jive with me. Especially when, you know, and people that look like me often have been, you know, vaccine hesitant because of historical mistrust in the system. So you're going to tell me that, you know, you a black kid, 19-year-old black kid that wants to go to Western that may have got one dose, two doses, but can't go in because they didn't have three doses when we know there's a risk of myocarditis. You know what I'm saying? And before COVID, you tell me you, you have a diagnosis of myocarditis. I would get nervous. Uh-huh. I, you know, like you, I've treated myocarditis patients that moved on needing to be, get a heart transplant. I've seen them that have died and needed to be resuscitated. Like myocarditis ain't no benign thing. And then for some reason, then during for the, this COVID version, we're, we're saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's self-limiting. And for the, the data does support that. Most people that get it, are, are going to be fine. But I just think we downplayed it a little bit too much. It's like, like, put it, put it this way. I would be more anxious for myself. If I had a diagnosis of, if I had to choose a, a diagnosis of COVID versus myocarditis, I would rather hear that I've had COVID. Myocarditis would make me super anxious. I fully agree with you. Um, you know, it's just such, such a hard topic to talk about. Um, you know, mainly because, you know, I found out a few weeks ago that some of the data that's um, analyzed by, you know, these medical agencies or whoever oversees how to approve, you, you know, the drugs, um, the, the doctor or the person who analyzes it is given raw data or given the data from the pharmaceutical company, but it's only the stuff that they want you to see, right? So it's like, it's interesting. If you go on the FDA's website, you'll see a lot of drugs that you know doctors now prescribe to you here that have been recalled or, or taken off of an approval, right? So um, it's in the medical industry, it's very interesting, right? Especially now, uh, 
you know, there's, there's probably drugs that I have taken or, you know, maybe Advil has been recalled or has stopped, you know, you know, don't take that anymore. Right. But no one says anything. Right. So, um, you have a podcast solving healthcare, man. It's uh, pretty cool. Um, I know you're very passionate about healthcare. Um, and, and by the way, people should be listening, uh, to you about your concerns because you're in the room. You're the, you're in, you're in the room helping people who are in crisis, who are in peril, who might no keel over and die. You're the one helping them, right? You are the person to listen to. When when these politicians make a decision, do they consult people like you and say, "Hey, like, what's the deal here? Um, was there ever, hey, doctor, tell us the truth, tell us what's going on, and we'll try and consult and make a decision." Because in the end, it's like, um, you know, they're built trying to build the house, but it's the construction worker who's putting it together right? You're the one in there keeping it going, right? You know, they're making the decisions, but you're the one doing the work, right? So um, that's what needs to happen. Um, but but first, uh, you know, um, that's probably the, the best thing that they could do. Um, secondly, I, they need to give you guys like massive raises, bring in the nurses, help you guys be a bit more at ease with yourselves. Um, you know, it's not a good feeling to go into work every day and, and feel that like you guys are understaffed and, um, you know, stretched thin. I'm sure there's nights that you go home or days you go home after your shift and you can't even like sleep because of what happened. Right. It's so hard to, you know, settle yourself down. I mean, I can't even look at freaking blood myself. So it's, it's some serious stuff. Um, so you're very passionate with your podcasts, um, solving healthcare, uh, and talk about the conversations you have, on the show. Um, it's on Spotify. Uh, what an awesome name. Like that's a cool name. Um, tell us like the guests you've had on the show, some of the, the conversations that stand out to you. Yeah. Thanks for the the love, George. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, the show spawned from our research program. We, we had a research program called resource optimization network, looking at ways of making healthcare more sustainable. Um, and we would produce these academic papers and, and nothing was changing, like nothing. Like, and so we thought, you know, let's amplify some of the stuff that we're covering. And I, I must say, George, my life has changed dramatically ever since opening this door. And, you know, we've covered initially a lot of, uh, you know, major concerns in healthcare, like, uh, you know, uh, how do we provide more efficient care through virtual, virtual consults, uh, how do we use technology to improve care? How do we better address, um, you know, advanced care planning and patients that wouldn't benefit from coming into a, an acute care and 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 address these issues? And then, then COVID took over the this bad boy. I mean, the world, right? So, uh, you know, really trying to give a balanced overview of what we were seeing because a lot of the things you were covering on the news was sensational. Like everyone's. Like how often were you seeing somebody interviewed that was actually in it, actually dealing with COVID patients? As often it was epidemiologists who've never even walked in a hospital uh, and talking about the numbers and so forth. So we we just wanted to give that balance. And then we talked about how to, the big epiphany for me was, you know, the most efficient way to get to deal with healthcare is to get people healthy, like to prevent them from landing in ICU, called it like, prescription uh prevention over prescription like what do you what can you how can you eat how can you exercise 
What's ways you can improve your sleep? How can you overall empower yourself to prevent seeing someone like me in an intensive care unit? And that's been a, the biggest driver lately. Talk about also the same along the same lines for healthcare professionals. Start a program called Solvent Wellness to try and reduce the amount of burnout amongst our healthcare providers. Uh, but all, it all ties together. Like if we're healthy, like you, you got a doctor that's feeling good, that's sleeping well, that's exercising. They're, they're providing that much better care. They they pass along that advice to their patients and their uh, loved ones, and we get collectively healthier. And that's been the biggest push in our over the last little while on our show. Well, I, I greatly appreciate it, man. I, I'd like to say this: I'll hang out with you outside of work, but don't I don't ever want to see you inside <laughs> the hospital. Yo, it's no. so true. You do uh, not want to see my mug in the in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've had some really creative, uh, productive conversations during this episode. Um, whether or not I'll just completely get freaking banned this time um, is up for grabs. But, um, you know, it's been good talking to you. We got to do a part two. Thank you, George. This was an absolute pleasure. And keep hustling on the show, man. This is like tremendous. And, and people that are listening, you got to go on YouTube or wherever you're posting this video because the 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 shirt George is busting out George on George on George is <laughs> legendary son. It is legendary. I got, I got to put my face on one of these shirts with George Costanza. It'd be pretty funny. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's now we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, man. Let's do a part two when we're able to, um, we'll get some more mixed reaction. Uh, maybe we'll even like, uh, chime in with some more healthcare workers. I like this. I don't like talking about something different other than music. It kind of changes things up for me. Um, keeps my interest a bit more, um, you know, you know, music, healthcare, controversy, you know, craziness. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, oh, and on part two, we could talk music too, man. I I'm a, I'm a, if you have a, if there's a, I don't know what the term is for like, you know how you have a foodie for food. I'm a yeah. music -y, like, I, I love it all. Like, uh, I could talk your ear off if we're, we're, we're ready to go. All right, man. Well, we'll feature you next time, uh, Mr. Dr. Music. Um, thanks so much, man. Anything else you want to say before we end this? Uh, just everyone, remember, like, uh, we're okay. If there, a lot of people are worried, right, there's going to be more waves of COVID and, and whatnot, but the amount of vaccination we have, the amount of hybrid immunity, um, like the, I think the worst is over and, uh, you know, I think it's time to live your life and focus on recovery mentally, physically, co community wise, like let's all collectively get healthier and get reconnected and, uh, be Canadian again. You know what I mean?